1: So we come back today, and I want us to look at the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1. And I want us to read together verses 1 through 8 of this Gospel of chapter 1 for the biblical focus of our message today. If you there say amen. amen. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Say amen. amen. As we look at this passage, we thank God for his word. This sermon on this text, the title is The Season of New Beginnings. You know, the Gospel of Mark, and I had to really wrestle with this. The Gospel of Mark encourages our engagement in the work of Christ. There is no birth narrative in this gospel. There's no birth narrative. There's no uh, genealogy. There is only a recognition that in the person of this Nazarene preacher named Jesus, a new era, a new age, a new chapter has been ushered in to human history. According to Mark's gospel, Jesus is the servant of the Lord. The whole focus of Mark's gospel is on the servanthood ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, I told you about those four figures that Ezekiel saw, the the man, uh, the ox, uh, the eagle, the lion. Mark's gospel represents the ox because it focuses on the servanthood of Jesus Christ. And you cannot have service without sacrifice. Uh, Some folk want to have service but they don't want to give up nothing. They don't want to sacrifice anything. And so the key pivotal verse in this gospel is when Jesus says to his disciples, he says the son of man came not to be ministered to but to minister or to serve and give his life As a ransom for many. And so Mark deals with the presentation of the servant. He deals. He uses six chapters to deal with the opposition to the servant. He deals with the instruction the servant gave. He deals uh, with the suffering of the servant. And then the resurrection of the servant. And I find it remarkable. uh, At the end of the Gospel of Mark. He has the servant Jesus Christ working with his servants as we think about remembering to serve and this this season of new beginnings. It is often our concession, our concession to the new year period, which is about a week away, that we accord upon reflection the time of new beginnings. But really, when you think about it, it's the Christmas season. We don't have to wait till New Year's Eve. We don't have to wait till December the 31st. It is the Christmas season. That is the season of new beginnings. Servants need to know this. But it's interesting that in the Gospels... Four, three of the four Gospels in the very first two verses of those Gospels have the word beginning. And the one that does not have the word beginning has a word that is a part of that family, and that's Matthew. It has generation. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me that really we miss this move that Christmas is a time of new beginnings. The great Scottish preacher, Alexander White, said that life is made up of new beginnings. And that is especially true, I say to you, if we're talking about Zoe life, if we're talking about sharing the life of God, because that life is made up of new beginnings. So servants need to remember as a part of the motivation and incentive we have to serve the Lord and to come alongside of him in ministry, that this is the season for new beginnings. I asked, I was um, interrogating the text, and as I asked the text the question, why is this true, and what can we learn from these eight verses and his context about being servants in this season of new beginnings, and three movements emerged in the text. First of all, There is the reality of crippling failure. The reality of crippling failure. Now, this is not something that is obvious in the text. It's more, it's subtle. It's implicit, but it's there. One reason it's there is because you have to understand that Mark's gospel, and it is believed, it is believed that Mark was the first gospel written because practically all of Mark is in Matthew and Luke. And we do know that John's gospel was the last one penned. But what we have to understand is that between the last line that Malachi penned in the Old Testament and Mark's gospel, there is a period of 400 years. We 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 are flipping through our Bibles and we move from Malachi to Matthew rather quickly. But there's a period of 400 years, the inner biblical period, where there is no revelation from God. And the tragic story and the tragic track of history, particularly biblical history, is Israel's failure to reach its potential, to reach her potential and reach her destiny in the Old Testament. And we find them living far beneath that privilege when the Old Testament canon ends. And so there is implicit in this 400 year gap there's implicit the failure that had so haunted Israel as they had turned their backs on God and we still see it in the Gospels because when we get to John we'll see where he came unto his own and his own received him not. There is the reality of crippling failure. It's, it's also in the author's biography. Who is the author of Mark's gospel? It's John Mark. And you've got to understand, when I read how, and, and in, the, in the original language, there is no article on the first verse. It's just beginning. We have translation, the beginning. It's just beginning in the original. And if there's a brother who appreciated a fresh start, John Mark would have been one of those brothers. Those of you who don't know the history, the biography of John Mark, he's a brother who was a cousin to Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 13, he went with Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. But when they got to Pamphylia, the young people would say it this way, he wimped out. So he wimped out. He, 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 he turned back. He said, I can't take the heat. I can't take the pressure. And so I'm going back to Jerusalem. And when Paul and Barnabas came together again to get ready to go on their second journey, Barnabas wanted to take Mark alone. And it became such a contentious issue that the greatest missionary team in the early history of the church separated and split Because they could not agree on taking John Mark. And so Barnabas took Mark and Paul took Silas. And so what I'm saying to you is that here we have, even implicit in the author's biography, a recognition of the reality of failure. But what's beautiful about it, and this is why I know John would appreciate, somewhere between Acts 13 and 2 Timothy 4, something happens in the relationship between John Mark and Paul because Paul, facing him in a says, send John Mark. Send John Mark to me. And he says this because he is profitable to me. And so in this in this beginning, you got to understand there's a whole lot wrapped in that. There's a 400-year gap which, which reflects Israel's failure and and how they live beneath their destiny. There's Mark's own experience, and then there's the experience of his mentor, Peter. There's a book I have in my library, and I haven't read it, I've scanned it, but it was a title that prompted me to buy it because the title itself was provocative. John Maxwell wrote a book called Sailing Forward. I have learned more from my failures than I ever would from my successes. And so, celebrate as a servant... During this season, the opportunity for a new beginning. So there is the reality of crippling failure. In the second instance, there is the recognition or the reassurance of consistent faithfulness. The reassurance of consistent faithfulness. In in verse 2, it says, as it is written. As it is written in the prophets. After 400 years of silence, the gospel writer says, as it is written. I simply want to say to you that God keeps his word. That enough ought to make a shout. God keeps his word. I love the way the psalmist said in Psalm 119, He says, Forever, O oh Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. God will keep his word. The leanings and the longings of the Old Testament prophet Malachi and Isaiah are being filled and fulfilled in the preliminary and preparatory ministry of John the Baptist. After four, and you know what? Let me say this 400 years ain't nothing for God. A thousand years is a day in the Lord's sight. God steps on the scene and keeps his word. And so the text says, as it is written, God fulfills his words. The ministries of Malachi and Isaiah was validated by this preliminary appearance of John the Baptist. God had promised that he would visit his people. He has not forsaken us, you all. He's not left us alone. There is a reassurance of consistent faithfulness. There is a reality of crippling failure. But there's one other thing in the text. There's a recognition of a compelling facsimile. You know, this text reminds us what's at the heart of the service ministry. At the heart of the service ministry is the ability to bear witness to the truth. One of the reasons that Jesus says that John the Baptist was great was his ability and his willingness to bear witness to the truth. He said... In this text, he says, there's one coming after me who's mightier than me. He's so mighty that the latchet of his shoes, I'm not worthy to unloose. One of the responsibilities as servants we have during this season is to perform or to make a positive ID of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was a great servant of God because he was able to do that. There is this passage in Mark's gospel. You read it as you have opportunity. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 63, at the trial of Jesus, the leader of the Sadducees, the high priest, asked this question. And every time I read it in the gospel, I want to answer the question. He says, after Jesus says, that essentially I'm the son of man and you shall see power coming with great glory. He tears his robes and he accuses the Lord of blasphemy and he says, what need of we of any further witnesses? Every time I hear that, I think that's a challenge. I'm so glad we need some witnesses. I'm almost through here, but I found out a facsimile in fact, the dictionary definition of it is, it is an exact copy of a likeness. It is a perfect reproduction. Now, you know you have to qualify that because if you send a fax off an original of text, perhaps we'll reproduce the original. But it's not an exact copy of the original. But the analogy does help us because in the final analysis God wanted to communicate himself to us. And so what he does is he put on human flesh. And he come down. That's why it's a season of new beginning. He come down through 42 generation. He's an urgent facts to humanity every now and then. When I send the facts, I use a template And one of the boxes I check is urgent attention. Do we have a witness here? Well, God sent a fax, a perfect reproduction of himself down through 42 generations. And there, yes, in the Gospels we have in annotation, urgent attention required. Because whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved I'm almost through here but I thank God for the facts I thank God for the new beginning because when Jesus came down
2: through 42 generations he ushered in a new era He ushered in a new possibility. He ushers in new
1: potential. John had it right. There's one who's coming,
2: who's mightier than I. The latchet of our shoes, of his shoes, I'm not worthy to unloose. But he says, I baptize you with
1: water. But when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. I'm thanking God today for the new power and the new
2: possibility I have in Jesus Christ because he came to this planet, lived and died. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Do have a witness, uh, and my experience is no matter how bad things get, God will make a way somehow. You know, I was trying to think how I could end this message
1: today. And you know, I remember a few years ago when I was working for Toyota and we occupied the second floor of a building where on the first floor a bank held its business. And I remember one morning early around 6 a.m. we were getting ready for our day and a woman rushed off the elevator. She had panic all on her face and what she said is, Does anybody here have jumper cables? She said, my car has stalled in the ATM machine lane, and I need a jump to get my car running again. I was thinking when I heard her story and saw the panic on her face. In fact, it was this season of the year, I thought about how analogical, how metaphorical that is of humanity.
2: There's this woman sitting by all the cash reserves that the bank has, and her vehicle is stalled in the ATM machine. Do we have a witness? We got an ATM today, an absolutely truthful message. Do we have a witness? But I'm afraid so many people are stalled in the ATM lane. They're stalled with an exalted sense of themselves. They're stalled with a preoccupation on material possession. They are stalled with a limited horizon but this woman said I don't want to stay there is there anybody here that's got some jumper cables well I want you to know what I thought about see a few thousand years ago man was stalled at the ATM machine of God's grace and mercy and there was no cables on earth to help him out of his dilemma and God said, uh, I'm gonna send somebody. Uh, do I do have a witness. Uh, now I have enough sense to know when you use jumper cables. You don't hook positive to positive or negative to negative. Uh, do I do have a witness. Uh, you got to hook it up uh, so you get a charge. Uh, we got a positive pole uh, because we've been made uh, in the image of God, uh, and we've got a negative pole because all have seen come short of the glory of God but my God looked down through history and saw our soul and he prepared a jumper cable who had two natures he had a divine nature from a positive pole had a human nature from a negative pole and he was at all points tempted me and one Friday night uh, when I was lost uh, and deep in sin he hooked positive to negative and negative to positive and guess what happened he cranked up uh, the ignition of his grace and I got a charge I got a charge do I have a witness Am i the only one that got a charge what can wash away my sin Nothing but the blood. Every morning I get a child. Every night I get a child. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is he able? Are you stalled today? Are you stalled today? Jesus can work it out, he's able.
0: You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on Certain Truth for Uncertain Times.